Morning. Good morning. And now officially live, so you can relax. It's probably more nervous before you go on camera than it is after you go on camera, so <laughs> you'll be fine. I'm a bit nervous, I'm a bit nervous, but I'm okay now. <laughs> Natalie Clark, a very good morning to you. 12 years, you were one of the first people I met when I came out here. Yes. And you've been here for just a little over 14 years, haven't you? Yeah, coming up 14. Long time. August. Long time. And unless you're an expat, it's uh, it's easy for us to say that it flies by, but it does. I mean, where's 14 years gone? And I imagine you've done so much in that time as well. Yes, it's been a whirlwind. It's been mm. a whirlwind. Actually, doing this, it made me reflect, you know, oh, what, thinking yesterday um, back to parts that might not have been reflected on before, you know, just running through it in my head. And yeah, it's been a whirlwind, done so much, so much has happened, um, and it has flown by, literally yeah. flown. There's still so much to do. Well, welcome to This Is Qatar. Um, delighted to have you on, and I'm so embarrassed to say this, but there's so many guy mates and men in, in business that I know that you are the first female guest on This Is Qatar. Yeah. So well done, you. I now need to do about seven females in a row, seven female episodes, or I'm going to alienate my audience. Um, but we'll get there. But fantastic to have you on. Thanks very much for accepting the challenge. Um, we've had a wee, a wee chat um, offline about what's, uh, what's going on in, in your business career, which uh, I'm sure you're very excited about and we'll, and we'll touch on. Um, but you are a mother of two fantastic children. And uh, that itself is uh, an amazing career. Um, I love and adore my wife and, and what she does is just a, a fantastic. But you have to do it with mixing your career um, at the same time, um, which I can imagine brings um, its, own, its own challenges. But how are the family growing up too fast, I would imagine? Too fast. So my son's 10. I can't even believe I have a 10-year-old son. It doesn't seem real, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, you'll, you'll remember, you know, when he was a baby. I do, I do. You know, and my daughter's seven. And uh, overall, great kids, very proud of, of how they've turned out to be, to be honest. Um, and they're, they're, they're great. They really are good. They've, they've handled this uh, coronavirus change very well. Um, I'm very proud of how flexible they've been with my working schedule trying to fit the schooling in and, and all these things. They've been really flexible with it and took yeah. it all in pride. And it's, uh, yeah, they're, they're great. Thanks. Have you still, you're quite active with them. Um, we, we follow each other on Instagram and things like that. And, and pretty much most of your um, images that I see, there's a lot of inspirational quotes that you do. And there's obviously a lot of pictures with the kids um, and you're very, very active with them. How difficult is that to balance? Certainly when you've got a scenario like this, to balance COVID, kids, uh, homeschooling, it must have been quite challenging. I would say something I have thought about long and hard for a long time, since, since, since becoming a mum, actually. Work-life balance has always been a challenge, huge challenge. Um, and I would say I have had it wrong for a lot of the time, not through choice, through needs. We, we need to pay rent, we need to pay school fees, we need, you know, I, I want to, bring our children up in a nice compound where they could play out with children, you know? So I needed to work and I needed to earn a certain amount of money to provide that level. So where I struggled with the work-life mum balance for many, many years, 
it was a need, it's a must. Um, and over the last three, four years, as the children have got older, I mean, this is, this is ultimately where it takes me to in the end, is I wasn't happy with it. You know, it was, it, you know, I get up. Kids to school, go to the office, pick them up on my lunch break, back to the office, home again, 6 p.m., you're tired, you're stressed, the kids are tired, you've got that one and a half hour to try and uh, teach them values, have fun, you know, teach them, uh, you know, everything you can. And it's, it's hard. And you put them to bed and you flop. And connection with them, you know, it's just, it, it was wrong. So I felt uncomfortable. And although I've been my own boss for the last 10 years, uh, which has been fantastic, because I have had the flexibility to pick them up from school, um, if there's ever been a play, I've never had to miss. I've never had to miss a play. I've never had to miss a sports day. All of these things, I've been there. I think picking them up from school is uh, very important for me. It's like that midday connection. Yeah. Um, but it just wasn't enough. Um, so I am been trying to find ways, future-wise, which I'll talk about later, to get a better work-life balance. And now my son's 10, I've come to the realization that it's a few more years down the line and he doesn't want mummy around all the time. <laughs> <laughs> How dare he? Yeah. How dare, after everything you've done, after everything you've so done. So it's been a, a, a tough, a tough balancing act. Like all working mums, constantly guilty. Um, you know, constantly feel like you're not doing enough. Um, yeah, so that's that's that, that's a human that's a human reaction, and I'm not I'm not just saying this. I reiterate that the amount you know we we don't see each other regularly. We we talk now and again, but I think the social media kind of spells out. I think social media kind of tells you a lot about people's um, life in the background, their work life, and, and things like this. And you know, people like me, I tend to keep my family in in the background. Um, Work-wise, I'm, I'm trying to portray a lot more sort of business stuff. Um, but things like, and, and different social media platforms are used for different things, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. On Instagram, you are so devoted to your children. That's how I perceive that. You, you take them out, you've got, um, you're going to the beach or you're going to various areas and activities, even in such an area of lockdown, that I think it's a human reaction. It's, it's a normal human reaction to beat yourself up about it. But 100% you don't need to, because the time that you spend with your kids, the way that they've turned out, a little bit suspect with Ryan's hair, I'll be honest. It needs to be changed. <laughs> so you did, that was last week, wasn't it? He wasn't happy, was he? I'm not sure about it, to be honest. No. The, good, the good thing is it grows back, I guess. It grows What's back. COVID if you didn't shave your hair, dye it pink. But yeah, it's a, it's a human, it's a natural human reaction. Um, I, th I think certainly for, for women you to do, feel guilty well, about having to do both. Put pressure on yourself all the time. Uh, yesterday, we had a, just a day in the house, as we do at the moment, and I was speaking to my mum and I said, I can't be bothered to do anything today. I don't want to bake a cake or really saw, you know, I'd paint a picture. I just wanted to relax, to be honest. And, yeah. and I said, and you know what, that's all right. You don't always have to be baking cakes and painting pictures. It's good for the kids. Let them go and entertain themselves sometimes. You know, and she said, well, I didn't do all that when you were a child and you're fine. I'm like, yeah, you know, we do 
through social media. You know, you see me posting pictures of baking cakes and doing jigsaws. I'm not always doing that. And we're constantly presented with the best bits of people's lives. You know, we're constantly presented all the mums everywhere doing these things. And you, you put the pressure on yourself to do that. And you have to say, it's all right not to. It's okay to just put the telly on and relax for an hour. Yeah, but can you can you imagine? Let, let's look at the social media. Can you imagine that every single post that we did collectively, not to alienate women or you, um, watched Incredibles one? This is this is my kid. My my wife, as you know her, is she's a she's a teacher. She's very well planned. The the home learning is done for two hours to three hours every morning. Every morning, they didn't even get a holiday. She was on the ball. But then it's two or three hours, and then the rest of the day is theirs. They can, they can do what they want. Can you imagine you put on social media, watched Incredibles 1, watched Incredibles 2, watched you know, uh, Gulliver's Travels, like what do you do with your children? So you're kind of pushed into this, um, this uh, uh, sort of aura of having to put out the positive things that, that you're doing with your children so you don't get any backlash. You don't get people saying, oh, well, oh, she's, she's a bad mom, she's just throwing them in front of the telly. But people have to be normal. me sunbathing yesterday for an hour <laughs> and say, you know, you know, I don't know, Sophie was at a friend's and Ryan was on Fortnite, you know, that's the reality it's of life. it. It's called life, it's called yeah. normality. But let's, let's touch on yourself because I know you've obviously been doing things differently for you. So not only have you got work, you've got the children. What do you do to kind of relax and chill out or what have you done to take your sort of uh, mindset away uh, with, with COVID? What's been different for you personally? Uh, this actually, this whole experience has been, uh, I could almost say life-changing. It's, it's, it's been spiritual. It's, it's been, it's, it's forced me into um, something that I never faced before. So previously, my day-to-day -day life was insanely busy. Um, not only I was uh, running, I'm running Reza Hygiene, I was doing uh, nighttime work. I, I qualified as a microblading artist. I was, I've made, this is a little salon I'm sat in now in my house and I'm doing work uh, for my mum's business in the UK on the nighttime as well. It, it, I didn't stop. I think I go to netball and I do stuff with the kids and I didn't, I think I had maybe one night a week where I didn't have anything on. And when I, that was the case, I was, twiddling my thumbs, didn't know what to do myself. Um, and then this happened uh, through obviously forced, uh, shorter working hours in the offices. You know, we were having to finish at two o'clock, come home, um, couldn't do any brows, uh, wasn't doing any work for my mum. I found myself, oh, don't have to take the kids to school, so that saved time. I found myself with a lot more hours free in the day than I ever had before. And at first it was honestly uncomfortable. I was kind of <laughs> pacing, pacing the lounge, um, having a glass of wine. I, did, I didn't know what to do myself. Um, and then I, I had a period where it, it, was, it was quite low because I realized that there was maybe a few personal things I hadn't faced before. or I didn't realize, but I used a busy lifestyle to not address certain things. Um, and it made me address them. And through the uncomfortable period, I have change certain aspects of my lifestyle. Now my morning routine, which I love, I take my dogs for an hour walk and I've been listening to audio books, uh, meditation music. 
and it's invaluable to me. I've, I've loved it. It's a time for me to vision things, think things through. Um, second to that, and you saw on my Instagram, I've started PT. So I was lucky that there was a guy on the compound who was uh, one of the coaches at CrossFit. He's got a set up outside so we could do it safely as well. Um, it's very easy for me. So I, I, I thought, right, I've got to do something here. And I know this is going to be good for my mental health. I know this is going to bring a bit more uh, stability to my routine. So I've been doing that. So my morning routine has been an hour walk with a, a book or positivity, uh, TED Talks, or whatever it is, you know. And then my workout by half seven, I feel, I feel amazing. I'm ready to take the day on. It sets me up for the rest of the day on more positive choices on what I eat, um, how I approach things. And I need that at the minute because it's, it's, a, it's a, going to be a period of change and I need that strength and clarity. And this is now something I will never stop. So, okay, so if I have to start the school run again, I'm going to have to get up at 4.30. <laughs> so <laughs> and I have to go to bed earlier, but it is so much more valuable to me than sitting up and wasting time late on the night. So yeah, it's these little things uh, I've changed in my lifestyle has been, it's been incredible. And, did you, and did you, do, did you not do any of these, did you not do any of these audible, audible books or, or audio books or any reading prior no. to this? Was it purely the no. boredom that sort of kicked you into that? It was, I always wanted to, time was the issue. I, you know, I touched upon, sometimes I'd sit and watch TED Talks. I love watching TED Talks on different subjects. I started uh, following this Dr. Gabe and I found him fascinating, but I never, never had the time, but I never, I'm not very tech savvy. And uh, I'd never <laughs> gone down the uh, route of, hey, just get audiobooks. Like, you can do two things at once. So you're stuck in traffic, listen to your audiobook. So now I have uh, seen the light. I can incorporate that into <laughs> today as things get busier again, you know. Yeah. So last, yesterday, for example, I was watching your podcast. You know, I just wanted to have a look and see what the general vibe was and such. But as I did that, I cooked and I painted and you know so I was like okay <laughs> we can do this it, it yeah. is the it is the sort of definition of multitasking but people people use multitasking in the wrong way I mean something like listening to a podcast or listening to an, an, an audio book is productivity rather than the multitasking because you need to be able to focus on one thing but if you've got something sort of natural in the background or as you say just listening to it it's yeah. unconscious learning it doesn't need to have that drive and focus. It's unconscious learning. And the fact that you can listen to it over and over and over again, which is one of the biggest lessons I've had, you, you pick up about 8%, which is scary. You only pick up about 8% of the knowledge or listening to it because you, if you're going for a walk, you drift. Your mind drifts all over the place and you're focusing on different things. So you listen to it two or three times. Yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But because when we've known each other for a long time, but we've known each other sort of as friends and socially, what I'm really intrigued about is listening to you and hearing about your business side of things. So take us through your sort of career. Take us through what your, um, your, your professional life has taken you through over the last sort of 14 years since you got to Doha. Yeah, so I guess it started obviously, uh, you know, at school when you're looking at what you're going to study and what your interests are and what you're good at. I was always naturally more uh, creative and good at art. Um, but I always had a bit of a zest for business. You know, it was always something that interested me. Um, and I had no interest in university at all. It wasn't for me. I wasn't going to go. 
I always had big plans, uh, sometimes a bit unrealistic. And I decided I wanted to travel the world. I'm not going to university, I'm going to travel the world. And at which point my dad said to me, uh, you have no money and I don't really... I don't really allow this, you know, I'm, I'm worried. And I said, well, yeah, the money is kind of a problem. I think at that time I had a, a cousin who knew someone in Spain who had a spare room. And she said, well, it's yours if you want it. I think I was 17 still, not even 18. And I said, right, dad, I'm moving to Spain. I'm gonna go live the dream. There's more to life in England. There's more to life than this. I'm gonna live the dream. I, I mean. Now, as a parent, that's seven years away from Brian, I kind of get why my dad was a bit, you know, no. But I did. I got on the plane. I didn't even know where I was going, who I was going to stay with. Uh, thank God it turned out to be Portobanus, <laughs> Marbella. And um, it was fantastic. But I soon realized, okay, uh, I can't speak Spanish and I have no degree and I'm, I'm young. And I got a job uh, selling second-hand car advertising to the UK in this call center. I mean, it was, yeah, it was dire. And then I got a job in a bar and I realized, okay, so I'm not gonna progress. So I went back, went to university and went down the marketing route because it, it became natural marketing and media, which was great. And at the end of university, again, I wanted to travel. I wasn't ready to just sit in the UK. I, I always felt like there was more to explore. Um, my dad lived in Doha at the time and he said, come over to Doha, have a look, see what you think. You know, it's a different culture to explore and so on. So I came, searched for a job in marketing, couldn't really find anything. And through a business contact of his, I was offered a position as a sales executive and I was selling uh, industrial kitchen equipment. Um, very low salary, lived with my dad, so it didn't matter. I got my first little car and... I did that for two years. So I feel like every stage has been right for me. You know, each stage you need to learn a bit more, learn a bit more. And it's, it's always been in a, in a, a comfort zone for me. Um, so anyway, that was interesting. It threw me into the Middle East. You know, I'll never forget my first day in the office. And I needed a cup of tea. And uh, someone said, well, call the tea boy. I said, excuse me, there's a tea boy. Yeah, call the tea boy. I, I remember that as well. I, I'm not calling a tea boy to make some tea. I will make my own tea, thank you very much. And I remember saying, yeah, but, you know, that tea boy's here providing for his family in a way that he wouldn't have been able to in his home country. And he likes his job. And, it, and couldn't get my head around the way it all worked over here. Everything was a bit of a shock. Um, anyway, so, you know, with that job, it was a bit of a man's world job as well. It was industrial kitchens. So I was going on to building sites, um, you know, villas that haven't been finished. I was going into catery uh, houses who were having the outhouses done. It was personal, you know, kitchens for their personal chefs. So it opened my eyes and it, it taught me a bit about Doha. Then uh, I was, I got a call from the CEO of Romela Group. You're familiar with Romela Group? Um, mm -hmm. Emma Turkman. Uh, yeah, 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 Emma Turkman. And if, if, I, if I recall it right, he'd been on a business trip to Italy. He'd seen a brand of kitchens that he really liked. I think they were called Bologna. And he came back to Doha and he wanted to add this to his uh, range of business activities. Don't know how, but he'd heard about me selling kitchens in Doha, you know, through someone, a friend of a friend. And he invited me in for a chat. Um, and we got on really well, 
you know, I was still young at this point. I was probably, I was 23 to 24, 20, 24, 20, yeah, I was young. I was young. And I said, actually, I don't know anything about wooden residential kitchens. I've been selling industrial kitchens, stainless steel. Um, and he said, it's okay. I think he obviously saw something in me um, to give me a chance. And he said, you know, I'll give you this opportunity to, to be a divisional manager and grow the division. And I was like, wow, what an opportunity at that age. Um, give me a nice office, my own office. Um, you know, and I felt like this is really a good opportunity to learn more and put my stamp on something. And I was, yeah, it was fantastic. Soon realized that really this kitchen range was more residential. People don't own the houses here. They're not going to invest. And um, unless you've got a showroom and you are targeting the locals, it, it wasn't, it didn't go in line with the rest of Romela's business model who were already in construction um, and such. So then we realized, okay, fine, we'll, we'll approach the construction industry. And we searched for a supplier, which we found in Jordan, Juaico, which fit the way the Middle East construction industry worked. It was on the same page and decided to open what we call the joinery division, where I was approaching uh, big residential uh, jobs or uh, hospitals and such like that. Um, and I think within a year and a half, I sold about 23 million reals worth of wood. Um, it was, I took on the Cuban hospital door project. Like, I think we're talking about 6,000 cars here. QP residential project in Dukan. Again, I think we're talking about 6,000 kitchens, wardrobes, and it just exploded. And I can honestly say, and I don't think even in my future career, I will ever learn as much as I did in those two years. Within a short space of time, I'd subcontracted 300 joiners. We had to hire project managers, AutoCAD draftsmen. I had a contract. I mean, it was, it was the biggest learning curve. All of a sudden, I had to know how to read bill of quantities, specifications, uh, designs. I had to become an expert in installing kitchens. <laughs> and, resource management. Oof, it was methodology, a, method statements, risk assessments, all the paperwork comes piling down on you. I'll never forget as well when, when, it, when it grew and I'd gone on holiday and I came back and Imad said, we found you a project manager. He's a British guy. Um, he's, he was a bit older than me. He's actually from the same area of New England. We're going to fly him out. And I was so scared to have to manage uh, another fellow Brit that was older than me, a guy. I don't know. It was, it was, it was anyway, it turned out he was an amazing guy and we're friends now and we'll always will be friends. Um, but it was, it was daunting. And the, the thing was, I was walking in, it, it was a, look, you're in that industry and I don't know if this industry is the same around the world. It was brutal. It was cutthroat. Um, the, for example, the hospital, the hospital, um, there was delays on the project. And yeah. in Qatar, you do surprise me. And every week I had to go <laughs> up to this weekly meeting in a party cabin with really tough, mostly Middle Eastern men, sometimes the owner, you know, of the, of the, the, uh, the project sat there and they're saying, why is my project delayed? And it was like, how many knives can people put in each other's backs? 
you know, her, her doors have arrived, but they're the wrong size. Or this has happened, but it's their fault. And then it, I didn't play the game. It was obviously a game, I realized. I just oh, didn't, I, I just sat there and said it as it was, which people didn't like, you know. So your openings are five, five centimeters off, you know, and, and to say that in front of the owner and the project manager uh, was, it was always a, you know, there was, <laughs> I don't know. And then everything had to be backed up by letters. You know, everything had to be oh, backed your up. Audit trail. Your audit trail has got to be amazing. Just to, just CYA, cover your arse. Because every, as you said, those knives will come out and they'll come and get you. Yeah. You bring out that piece of paper and that is sharper than a knife, I can yeah. tell you. But I soon learned the hard way that everything had to be covered with a document. And then in the midst of this, you know, journey, I fell pregnant. So I am 25, set up this division, uh, going through a really rough time at work, and then I'm pregnant. And it was obviously a bit unexpected and, you know, very welcomed. And I thought, my God, how am I going to do this? You know, it's all, it's... So I went, I went to him and I said, look, I'm pregnant. So if you want me to continue running this division, I'm going to need a pay rise. I'm going to need a house. <laughs> At that point, we were living in a section of a villa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need a nanny. Um, and then I can do it. <laughs> and he was like... That's genius. Yeah. That's so funny. Not like, only did you hit him with, I'm pregnant, you basically followed it up with an upsell and went... I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. You want yeah. me? This is the, this is the package, baby and all. <laughs> I said okay, and I said okay, let's do this. Oh, brilliant! Now, I mean, we can touch upon this later or whatever because it's a whole another subject. But being a woman on a building site, anywhere in the middle of Dukan, is and and trying to get you to be respected in the construction industry, and you stood there with a hard hat and, and safety shoes. We're all being eight months pregnant into that mix. Um, it's the middle of summer, it's 50 degrees. I wasn't a small pregnant lady, I wasn't neat. It was, it was scary almost to some people. And I stood there with a hard hat, my safety shoes, my high vis, in 50 degrees heat talking about, uh, you know, ironmongery with a load of, uh, you know, Egyptian site managers and they're just looking at me like horrified why is this woman here this woman should be at home you know it's it's a whole a lot of the cultures and the religions we work with it was For, like, forgive the forgive the term but you were on the wrong side of the kitchen as uh, as the project managers were thinking right um, to actually overcome that and gain respect um and be heard it wasn't just your average woman in a man's world walking into a meeting room. This is like a whole different uh, setup. Um, it was a lot of more barriers to overcome, but I pursued, I persisted, I did it. I had my, uh, my son and I'd managed to work the whole pregnancy. I'd managed to not go on holiday for a whole year to save up my holiday, because as we know here, you get 50 days uh, leave maternity. And that with a few Eds thrown into it, I managed to club together three months off, which uh, I did. And then I had to go back to work. And the next year to follow was, uh, it was probably one of the, the worst years yet. I think a young mum 
hormones, the need to be at home with your baby, coupled with running a, such a tough business and so much pressure, driving up to do can every day. Um, I literally was, I, I reached the end. I thought I actually, you know, I'm, I'm waving the flag here. I just can't do it. I, I really reached the end. I mean, one, there was one particular story I'll never forget. I was eight, nine months pregnant even, driving up to do camp. It was a sandstorm. You couldn't see your hand. It was midsummer, August, because I had uh, Ryan in September, so it's probably touching 50 degrees. I was on my own. And I was feeling pains, and I was thinking, oh my God, I'm in the middle of nowhere here. And, you know, please no. Anyway, I had the meeting and I was driving back. Uh, maximum speed limit, isn't it, up that road, 120. And my tire blew. My tire blew. My car skidded, I was in 120, across the highway. I think the whole AC unit had fallen through and embedded in a wheel. And the AC obviously stopped. And I managed to get the car steady to the side of the road. And I'm just stood there shaking and thinking oh my god you know it was so hot i was petrified and i just didn't know what to do i could you couldn't see anything so anyway thank by some luck some of the remainder technicians have been working on another job in Dukan, and they just drove past me within five minutes they saw the remailer logo on my car thank god it was a pajero so you know it was, it was quite safe um um, and they stopped and they got me in the, uh, their little van in the AC. So there was some <laughs> significant moments where it, yeah, it was, it was tough. So anyway, towards the end of the year, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And at that point, my father, who has always been in the hygiene industry all his life and was work, had been working in Qatar, had gone over to a company called Reza Hygiene in Bahrain. And he'd been there maybe three years at this point, and he, they were looking to open a Qatar branch. And he'd said, hey, my daughter's in Qatar. She doesn't have any hygiene knowledge, but she's, she's got knowledge of, of setting up a business and X, Y, and Z. But I don't want anything to do with it because it's my daughter. You know, you, you should be <laughs> into such. So the owner, the Sheikh, he flew over and we sat in uh, Lassigam and I had my interview. And I think the fact that I'd said, that I'd just been in the construction industry for two years, managing 300 plus men, da, 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 da. He said, if you can do that, you can do this. So he gave me the opportunity and I have never been so happy. You know, I was like, I'm out of that industry. It wasn't for me. So then I joined Reza Hygiene. So this is 10 years ago. And um, it was a very incredible opportunity uh, to have the freedom to start your own business under somebody else's financial risk, you know, under guidance of uh, my father, as he's been in the industry all his life, and his manager, you know, um, and the team I had, but to have the freedom to do what you want. And I'll never forget my first working day and I was sat at home and I'm thinking, I have no boss to report to. Uh, I suppose I need to. It was such a weird, uh, liberating feeling. Thinking, right, well, I best go and find us an office and find some staff. It was that starting point of like, wow, this is my thing. I can do what I want. Everything has to be, everything has to be on your initiative. It has to be on your instigation, but you were free to do that as fast or as slow as you wanted to and in your strategy. Yeah, and, and I, am, I am a very driven person. I always rise to a challenge and I found it very exciting and uh, you know, if I think anyone other than that, it, it doesn't work. You have to be self-driven. You know, you could say, well, I'm going to have a 
tea. I don't have to start till 8.30, you know, head out. But no, so the, the whole thing of building my uh, business, and that's how I feel, like it is my business. Um, it, it was amazing. Choose the office, choose the warehouse, choose the staff. We made the decisions. You put the procedures in place. And um, it started literally with me. I employed my first technician, uh, Filipino guy, Jun, and he's still with me to this day. And it was, I was driving him. We were delivering stuff in my car. We were making deliveries. And um, my, one of my first uh, contracts was Oryx Vitana to do the fragrancing. And you know, these little air fresheners that you get everywhere. I think there was about 60 of them around the hotel and then the auto janitors that you fit to the toilet. And I didn't have anybody to do the refilling. So I had to do it myself. So there I am with the trolley, um, filled it up, went in the back in the service entrance and I had to eat humble pie a little bit, you know, I had to go in all the toilets and change each air freshener. And I did that about three or four months and I got an email from the housekeeper saying, I'm sorry, but no, um, we're not really comfortable with this. Uh, they just weren't comfortable with the country manager coming in and doing the refilling. and. So, you know, to learn this business from the bottom, I learned the business from the bottom. I, when we had an installation, I had to go down to Sunrise Plumbing and just find a, a, a plumber, take him, and I had to train him how to fix this stuff. I was like taking instructions from the other branches. So I really did learn from the bottom and it's, it's been uh, invaluable to me in terms of... It's the only way to do it, I think. It's, yeah. it's the only way to do it. You, there's one of my, I was doing an MBA about Aussies five, so it was about six and a half, seven years ago, and I never got to I never got to finish it. But a lot of my uh, contacts were saying you, you don't need an MBA, and that was their opinion. I, I still did five out of the seven modules and still got a diploma out of it. But they said being your own boss is as good an MBA as you will ever get. You will you will learn everything that you need to learn on the job. And if you surround yourself with the right people, coaches, friends, mentors, then they will guide you in, in a certain a certain direction. And when we started Prime Interiors, which would have been 2000, so 10 years ago as well, um, I was building desks. I was building chairs. I was project managing that because you've got to, you've got to educate and teach those that you're then going to subsidize to do the work. You've got to get stuck in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, and um, yeah, so the whole journey has been invaluable from, it's all trial and error. You know, we're all just here learning and trying to improve from it and, and taking it forward with us. In terms of management style, um, I have gone through every, you know, tried everything from incentives to uh, deductions to you know, be nice or to shout it. You know, it's, you know, it's <laughs> I, all, I haven't reached the nice stage yet. I'm still at the shouting stage. <laughs> I, I, that's for you. <laughs> quite a few years of just shouting. Uh, in the last, I would say, four years, I feel I have reached uh, a really nice equilibrium within the company, within the office. Um, and I feel like I've made progress and I've got a lot, a lot of long-term staff, if you come to understandings. Um, and again, it's, it's a journey with them. It's about gaining respect in the right way. Um, and once you've gained the respect, 
then management, I do feel, becomes more of an easier journey. If they, if, and then how do you gain the respect? You gain the respect by, you know, putting the hours in, showing you care, leading by example. No one's going to respect uh, a manager that flitters in three hours later than the rest of the staff. Um, you know, you've got to get your hands dirty and it, and it is about being a team, really. So anyway, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I've got a quick question, quick question on that. And, and that is something that I think most business owners uh, globally um, find as an issue. But add, add the ingredient of the caliber of the, the workforces that you can that you get here. You take certain you take certain aspects of the people that we're working with. You know they are mainly blue collar. They come from a variety of um, uh, countries of origin. Could be the Philippines, could be Nepal, Bangladesh, India, etc., etc. And their work ethic is completely different. Not all of them. You do get some some gems, but I would say the percentage. It's a high percentage of their work ethic is completely different to people like ourselves. It's ours, we have pride in it, we own it, therefore we have to, as you say, lead by example. Give us, a, give us a, an understanding on how you were able to motivate these people. You tried different things, but what worked and what didn't work? And what's your feelings on how you motivate unmotivational staff, uh, in essence? On that, on that level, um, I've failed some staff and I've succeeded with some staff. Um, in the end, in the end, um, I've been quite tough, to be honest, sometimes. I, you know, um, like you said, the work ethic can be quite different. Uh, you, you think they've gone on a job, and next thing it's, it's 3 p.m. and the client's calling saying, where are they? I'm saying they're there. They said they're not. They've gone. Well, where have you gone? Well, we went to eat, but you've just started the job, you know? You, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, yes. You know, have lunch. Eat before the shift. There's ways. Oh, you know, I mean, I could go on and on and on. The stories are endless. Um, a good bollocking, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> sometimes yes. sometimes yes. that's the only way to get Never through. did us any harm, Natalie. Never did us any harm when our parents gave us a bollocking when we were younger. Very matter of fact, uh, can be quite brutal. <laughs> to be manager on these things you know are you insane you think it's okay blah blah but then followed up with uh, an explanation or, or such Context. i had a technician in my office um lit, uh, lit a few days ago um obviously due to the current situation um we are limited you know everyone was due a pay rise this year i just got them signed off and I've been promising certain people that deserve a pay rise, a pay rise for a couple of years now. And so when we get to this point, I'll give you my word, when we get to, and then boom, coronavirus comes in and the budget is tight. And not only, you know, it's not only, you know, we're lucky we have jobs at the minute, never mind a pay yeah. rise. Sorry, guys, yeah. where you thought you were going to get. So I had a guy, uh, you know, that the head of the technician said to me, so-and-so, so, you know, he's not happy, he's complaining. I said, let him come and see me. So he sits in front of me and I said, what's the matter? Like, what is it? Well, I feel like I'm doing more work than the others. And, uh, I, I, you know, some of us, I think, are getting more salary than me. And, you know, and I'm doing this. And I was flexible in Ramadan and, and this and that. And, I, you know, and I said, look, um, I think what you need here is some kind of appreciation. 
So first of all, what you're doing for me, you know, I appreciate. I appreciate this, 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 and this. At the minute, my hands are tied um, because of X, Y, and Z. Told him a few figures, explained to him where the company is. But at the end of it, you know, I always try to highlight that, you know, you're working for a company where we look after you. We, we pay your salaries on time. You've got an emergency. I'll always listen. I'll send you home if you need to. Whatever it is, you get so many other advantages working with us. You have a manager that listens and cares. So I always try, if I can't do it monetary, I will always try to highlight to them where the other advantages are and, and show them really actually working for me or for this company is, is a very good thing. So to, so, so, so step one, bollock, <laughs> step, <laughs> step two, talk it out. Step three, explain to them, you know, this is really good. You, you've got a great deal. So, Hey, you don't want the deal. You know, that's, it's, it's a process, but, but I think you do have to kind of put strict rules in with this uh, level of workers because they are very inclined to bend them a lot. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've tried fines in place. I've tried putting uh, incentives in place. But in the end, if you maintain your standards and you make it very clear as a manager, you know, you start at eight, we're there at eight. You get to a client, there's a problem. This is what you must do. You must call the technical manager, you know, and get the procedures in black and white. Do you understand? Yes. So there we go. You know, there's no, there's no room for, oh, I didn't understand that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Take them through the onboarding process, and it's. Um, I think it's a frustration for a number of business owners, myself and, and probably yourself included. That do you think there's enough protection for company owners versus the employees? I mean, we we, we hear the stereotype that the media, or international media, that is, British media. Let's be honest, complaining about um, blue collar worker conditions. Um, locked in an industrial area that are a virtual prison and so on and so forth um, but no one seems to flip it on the other side you look at the work ethic you look at the bending of the rules you look at the fact that they will say anything i know people that have had 19 grandmothers you know that have died and they've had to go on emergency leave here you know, 19 times you know that they, they don't have any sort of you know, conscience to, to do that do you think there's there's a lack of protection for the business owners against against the workers because they are protected 100%. Mm, I, don't, I don't think there's a lack of protection. Uh, no. I think there is... From or is it up to the businesses to ensure they protect themselves? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's quite a, some protections in place here that you wouldn't find in other countries. Maybe that is actually beneficial to the business owner. Um, it used to be with the exit permit system and all of these things. I mean, that yeah. was full control really, you know, nobody could steal money and just leave the country, you know, um, things like this that can happen in other countries and European countries, they're just free to, yeah, steal the money or, or go and work for a competitor and, you know, give all the information. So that I, I feel like you are protected. I, I yeah, um, no less than, than other countries, I would say. What do you think? I think um, looking at employee accountability is most of the time the responsibility of the business owner and measuring their performance and looking at their KPIs and ensuring that their objectives are achieved. But when it comes to certain aspects of, certainly if there's a, a monetary um, error, 
Um, I certainly don't do this. I've heard of many, many people, but we are, and you'll understand it from um, being in the industry for a couple of years, that if someone does something wrong and it costs you money on a project, or there's liquidated damages, or there's delay penalties, or things like that, it all comes back on the business owner. And yeah. we've got to take that responsibility. And um, what my biggest frustration is that people can leave, yeah, exit permit aside and NOCs, I mean, NOCs are now virtually non existent. Yeah. So people can now leave, even though they've made a mistake, walk away with a, 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 a settlement of end of service benefit and all their salary that they're owed, even if they have not done the job properly, unless you take them down a disciplinary route. It goes back to the audit, it goes back to records of discussion, it goes back to verbal warnings and written warnings. And unless you've done that process, it is virtually impossible to actually gain any uh, compensation from the employee and they walk out and walk into a new job, just like that. So There's no responsibility. I've only ever done business in the Middle East, okay? And right. I actually am not familiar uh, with business in the UK or in Europe. Not, not so much in terms of these. No, me too. Curiosity, what's in place in the UK? I, I actually don't know. I mean, flip it on the other side. What's, is, is there anything that is better in the UK that protects? Uh, there is, I, yeah. probably, I probably can't answer that question because I'm the same as you. I've never run a business in, in the UK, so possibly not. So, um, no. Um, but I, I think the level of caliber or, or the, the, the competency levels, I think, is going to, uh, it's not going to remove the mistakes, but it's going to reduce the mistakes. You look at the competency levels of people here versus, but again, that's up to the recruitment process, that's up to the training process, the education, the onboarding, the management. You know, there's so many responsibilities that we have, but there's only so much you can do. That's true, that's true. And as a country manager or, or whatever, that is, it's your responsibility to ensure that there's procedures in place, the right staff are there um, mm. to catch any of these issues, hopefully before they, they get worse. You know, I had, I've had similar issues with staff, a uh, sales lady potentially stealing. Um, and so um, she was trying to get sales so bad that she was getting friends, you know, in other companies to give purchase orders. And it turns out they never had any intention to pay. We've delivered all this product. Um, and when we finally let it go, there was a lot of debt that was going to be very, you know, couldn't be recovered. Uh, and then this certain lady comes back to me and says, well, well I need my uh, gratuity. And I need this and this. <laughs> and I'm like, hang on a minute. You know, so I sat down and I said, okay, this is how much you've cost us. <laughs> and this is, you know, what you want. Uh, I will... I will be obliged to do certain things, but there is no way I'm going to do that. And if you want to take it further, we, you know, there, there's the evidence, there's the paperwork. Sometimes you need, sometimes you need to be tough. You know, yeah. the, I don't think it happens all the time, but again, they're very, a lot of them are very, very quick. We'll, we'll close this part of the conversation because it's a negative one. I don't want it to be that because there's some amazing people out there. You know, some of the work that, that my staff do is fantastic, but I, we, we all have bad eggs as business owners and they come back and it's as if they, you know, they're cap in hand, you know, yeah, but what about my gratuity? Gratuity is a frustration for me because people are getting something that they don't necessarily deserve. If you've got someone that goes back to the UK after 10 years, and, and they've worked the backside off, then great. Flip it on the other side, um, that I've, I've employed people that are still waiting 
for gratuity and they've done nothing wrong. They're still waiting for salary and they're not getting it because the employers are saying X, Y, and Z. Now these are, you know, to, to sort of close that up, these are not um, all the time. It's a bit like the media will take something and they will magnify it as if it happens every single day. It, it doesn't happen like that. And it's certainly not coming from the top, it's coming from middle management. So it's, yeah. a, it's a difficult situation to be a business owner. It's a very difficult situation when you have employees that come to you that you want to treat them with respect, being a small business owner. And the larger companies are manipulating the system um, that, that exists in Qatar. So it's a, a bit of a catch-20 situation. But... Moving on from that, Qatar has been your home for 14 years. Our podcast is called This Is Qatar. Yeah. What is it that you love about Qatar? Because you've been here so long. And your family have born and grown up here. You know, what is it that inspires you about this place? It's things, actually. Um, obviously, I've been here for 14 years. Uh, I've seen a huge change um, with a lot more uh, on offer. From, uh, from If I could break it into two parts from a family perspective, Qatar has served me extremely well. I do feel, um, as a, you know, as a working mum, if you look in the day-to-day -day life, the fact that we can have live-in nannies has been a godsend. Because, you know, I might have moaned and groaned in the early days, oh, it's so hard being a working mum, but at least I didn't have to come home, cook a dinner, walk the dogs, clean the house, do the laundry. Um, this, I was always grateful for, number one. The additional work done in the house to, you know, to support my lifestyle. Two, the fact that I had to go to work with the, with the children so young, I loved the fact that they could be at home with a nanny that they knew and that they loved. I wasn't, you know, in England, packing my kids into a car at 6 a, you know, 6 a.m. in the freezing cold to go and drop them off at a child minder that they don't know or forcing them into a nursery too early. So my children, I knew as much as I wasn't there, I knew they were always settled in their house and that was invaluable um, as a working book so those those aspects are really important from a family perspective the another aspect which i'm sure everybody will agree with is the safety of this country it's just incredible um, i have never felt intimidated i've never felt in danger i you know i can't imagine going back to the uk and having to be faced with those uh feelings again which which will happen here you, you don't lock your car, you, you don't, don't lock my house, I mean... Don't you know, tell everybody, don't tell everyone where you live. <laughs> I don't think many right. people do, Simon, I don't think many people do. You're living in a compound with a security on the gate, you know, not that you need it, but whatever it is, you, you don't walk down the street and ever feel intimidated. And, 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 and most of all, compound life and I think many families can agree with this, is just a dream for young children. Um, especially, again, as a working mum, being out at work all day, knowing that my children are out playing with other children and, and socialising in a safe environment, uh, it's, it's so nice. It's like the olden days in the UK when the streets were safe and the kids yeah. used to go out. And, you know, I, I don't know where my children were. I just come back from work. Where's, where's Ryan and Sophie? I don't know. Someone's house on the compound, somewhere in the compound. Last night, Sophie walked out with a bag on her back. I'm going to sleep at Libby's. Oh, okay, fine. Like, no, no pre-planning. The freedom that they had as kids from that age group is, is yeah. invaluable. And I also think as, as children growing up, uh, to go out onto the compound, four, five, six-year-olds, 
And, you know, there's no adults on that tennis court a lot of the time. You know, five-year-olds going out to play alone. They t teaches them uh, skills, personable skills, where there isn't an adult always watching over them saying, don't say that, don't do that. You know, in, mm. in, in UK or whatever, when you have a play date, mums are always there, the dads are always there. They're always saying, hey, don't, you have to share, or you have to do this. They're always monitoring. It's kind of like kicking them out into the wild, but it's not, you know, where they can actually learn some extra skills that they wouldn't necessarily in, in other countries. So as a family, it's been, it's been perfect for me, raising my kids here. They've always had uh, everything I think they could, they could need up until now, <laughs> which we'll talk about later. And, um, well, we might as well come on to it now. All good yeah. things come to an end. And we had a conversation, when was it, Thursday? I phoned you on Thursday, are you still okay? Uh, are you okay with the agenda? Yeah, the problem is, I'm going back to the UK. Resigned. Huh? He hasn't oh. uh, resigned. Okay, uh, right, so why? And, and what's the plans? The, 10, the 14 years has served me. Uh, the country has been perfect for me. I, have, I love it. I have very fond memories of it. It's in terms of, I didn't touch upon that, but in terms of career, I never would have think I've had the opportunity to do what I've done and learn what I've learned with the financial freedom. Um, it's been good for me financially, you know, so all of this is, is perfect. It's all been at the right time and I have no regrets. It's amazing. However, it's been 14 years and mm. I've been driving up and down Salwa Road for 14 years. And I'm a little bit, you know, bored in a way. It's like, it's like the challenge of, you know, res hygiene. It's the challenge is there. I succeeded. I built the business. It's got a good name in the market. I've got a great team. And then over the last couple of years, that's kind of just how it's been. You know, I have the country manager. I'm not selling as much. I'm, I'm a little bit, um, yeah, you, you, you lose a bit of passion. I think sometimes it, it can get to that point. And, the natural progression, two main things. The natural progression for me, career now, is to be self-employed. Um, that's, that's the natural progression for me to set up my own businesses. Um, and I have so many ideas, <laughs> too many. Uh, and the natural progression for me as a mum is to have more time with my children. Enough's enough. Ryan's 10. And I say this to my friends, I say, well, what, what are you going back to the UK for? What, what's this going to achieve? I say, well, actually, one of my dreams is to just pick up my children from school and cook them some dinner. They say, are you mad? You know, I say, no, I want to cook my kids their dinner. I want to be the one to pack the pack lunch box. I want to take them, take my dogs for a walk amongst nature with my children and slow down. It's time to slow down. It's time to regroup. It's time to enjoy uh, more time with my children. And this is what's important. So, so my mind's been going over the last few years. How can I do this? How can I break free from being employed? How can I create an income where I can generate enough money to have a nice standard of living, you know, and have more time to spend with my children? And when I first uh, said this idea to a few of my girlfriends here in, you know, in about two years ago, I said, well, maybe, you know, maybe I could do this. And one of them said, are you mad? Do you think you can go back to the UK not have a living nanny, so you now have to cook, clean, take care of a house, generate income, and have more time with your children and more time for yourself. 
and have a better life and go on more holidays and travel more? I said, yeah, I think I can. I actually think I can achieve this. So it's been a process of a few years of, uh, you know, thinking of ways I can do it. One thing I did, which I'm really glad I did, two years ago, I'm sat at brunch and I hear other girls talking, oh, have you, saw, you, know, have you heard about this microblading, blah, blah, blah. And I said, what's this? And they said, oh, it's you know, semi-permanent eyebrow tattoo, but have you seen it? And it costs a fortune. And, and I looked at the pictures and because art was what I was naturally good at, I looked and I thought, I can do that. And I really miss being creative. I miss art. I mean, I'd love to have never been an interior designer in another life or something like that. So I thought, well, you know, I could do that. Um, create an extra income on an evening because I, I don't do anything. I don't watch television. I, 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 yeah, so, you know, do something when the children are in bed, doesn't affect my time with them. It's productive, it's creative, and it's really good money. So I looked into it, I went back to the UK, I did a course two years ago in Windsor, and actually that was one of the best decisions I ever made because under the security of earning my main income on an evening now, I've, I've built my skill and I'm at a good level now where this is something I can take into the UK that I can make a salon in my house. And again, I just put the kids to bed and I can do something I enjoy and create. It, it's, it's a good, it's a good income. So that was one thing. It's a bit like my bread and butter. It's my creative income that I call it. And I, and, and it can work completely around to my time, time frame, which is fantastic. Um, and, um, marketing uh, my mum has a magazine business at home it's a long established magazine business it goes back to my nana she was in advertising in the northeast of england they have so many connections which is as we know is key in business and so uh, yeah big reputation and i started looking at that and i was thinking so i started asking my mum a few questions about the business and the business model and i looked at that and i instantly thought hmm i could tweak that a little bit and instantly create this much income um, and then I could develop it into that and so on. So that's one of the things I'm going to look at. Again, working to my own hours, uh, generating an income with less input, shall we say. And I think another thing I've been looking into and I'm going to do is I thought, well, what is my skill? Well, I, I can sell and I've been selling in the Middle East 14 years. I know how the Middle East works and I've got a lot of connections and it would be a shame to walk away after all this time and not uh, capitalizing. Yeah, exactly. So that got my brain going and how can I do that? So I'm going to be developing something a bit like uh, the Middle East middleman, <laughs> as you would say. I have actually managed to sign with uh, two factories, one in Greece and one in Oman to represent their products in the Middle East. So I, yeah, because I mean, when you know how things work, you know, you know who the right companies are, you know who are going to pay, you know who the, you, you have that feel. And I can also do that across Dubai, Saudi, through distributors. So I've started the ball rolling on that. And, um, you know, many more ideas. This is, this is just a snippet, <laughs> but I need to, I, I, need, to focus. I need to focus. You know. Well, yes. And we're always learning and I'm sure you'll continue to do that as well. I'm sure you'll continue to, I mean, have you got mentors and coaches that you reach out to? Who's your biggest inspiration? Oh, but this is something nobody. <laughs> really? You've yeah. done this all off your own back. That's, yeah, that is I, amazing. But you do need someone that's going to give you that sort of, not necessarily a pat on the back, but just give you that sort of pick-me-up when you are 
that you are down because you're setting up a new life. Yes, you've got family and maybe old friends around you, but you're starting all over again with a new network and you're managing, you're having to manage your time so much more, I guess, compartmentalized. It is petrifying, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, you'll be fine. It's, you know, to, to, to take that step into the UK and all of a sudden there is no salary. That's it then. You are responsible for your income. Uh, it's, it's exciting, it's scary, and I'm sure it's going to be another learning journey for me uh, where I will make mistakes, I will succeed certain aspects. The nice thing is I have a few ideas. So we can look at, at what is going to work and what's not and, and focus, but um, it is, it's exciting. It really is. And I feel quietly confident, you know, I don't like, I have these ideas, but yeah, a mentor, <laughs> find it. If you can recommend anyone, I would be very grateful because I think. Listen, they're, they're all around and, and you can try them. It's a bit like the business, the, the business ideas, you know, you, you, it's trial and error. It's, it's test and record. Uh, it's um, make the mistakes and, and perfect them or, or get them better and don't make the same mistakes again um, and start now and get perfect later because so many people, me included, would sit on the fence and they would literally to the finest detail, well, what happens if that happens and what happens if this goes wrong? Just get it done, get the feedback and then actually address the feedback, correct it and then, and then move on and that's, and that's what we're doing. But yeah, the, I think the focus is one of the things that I'm that I struggle with. I'm the same as you, there are ideas all over the place, but they're all related around construction, but you can't go in 10 different directions. You know, we've got 10, we've got 10, com 11 companies actually within our consortium. And I, and I potentially represent them all. So I've finally taken on two people that's gonna split that workload and we're all gonna sort of focus on particular, particular companies. So get one of the ideas, set it, systemize it, make that income, and then you can move on to the next one. 70, 20, 10 tends to be 70% of your time on the main one and then 20, 10 on the other. So that tends to be how it works. 100% and as I was going back I thought right I'm going to get myself a whiteboard and my office I'm going to make and I have to focus one by one I have to make a master plan I haven't got to that point yet it's all just there in the head um, that's but the exciting times that's the exciting it, thing Natalie yeah. is, is putting it down uh, it is and, and, and the weird thing is you know someone said to me are you mad you're going to jump <laughs> ship leave a well paid job that you're good at that you've built in the middle of a pandemic, when the economy is going to be at its worst and, you know, all of these things. And I said, in a weird way, it's almost perfect for me. It's almost like uh, the world has gone quiet. You know, the, it, everything's quietened. There's a lot less noise around me. Um, and it's given me time to regroup and think. And uh, it's like the calm before the storm, in a way. And also the fact that when I get back to the UK, things probably will still be a lot quieter, generally, in business, in social life. It's perfect. I need time to focus on my kids, their emotional needs. It's get my house set up. It's going to be a huge change. And the last thing you need is a lot of external noise, I think. So yeah, I feel like this is the right time. Um, so It's quiet. Yeah. It's summer. Um, yeah. Reflecting on, on, on how I'm looking at it, you've got, we've got many things that we want to do. Um, I'm in the office and the rest of the staff bar, maybe one or two are not. So I'm not being distracted uh, in the same way as I usually would. 
We're fortunate that we're busy, but we've got projects, so they're being handled by the team. I've taken on new staff, and we now look at it as an opportunity. If you look at it as a negative, then that's exactly how you're going to you're going to move forward as, as a negative. But uh, an oh, woe is me mentality. And um, really glad that you did this because you, what you're talking about resonates with me. It okay. resonates about the ideas. It resonates about making the change. No one else can make the change apart from you. And I'm sure the friend that was talking to you, we won't, we won't uh, drop them in it, but hopefully it was uh, they're now they're now motivating you that you've made the decision rather than you're an idiot. There are many, many people. Huh? I still have, you know, a lot of friends that doubt. I mean, they're good friends. I appreciate their honesty. Um, and, I, and I go, well, let's just see then. And you know, the worst, worst comes to worst. I come back, I could come back to the Middle East. I've got so many connections oh, now. Come back to modern. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not the end all. Um, I might hate it. I might be on a plane within one year going, no, it's not for me. But you never know if you don't try and you never succeed if you don't take the risk. And you just got to jump in, sometimes with your eyes shut. Because if you have your eyes open, you know, the, all of the doubts can come in. It's, it's, too, it's too easy. And, and that's not a bad thing. You know, going through the, the, the status quo or Groundhog Day, or it's not for, it's not for me. I, I need to be able to do something different every single day to have something that's going to keep you motivated. And that's where the ideas come from. Um, and yes, you know, the mistakes are always going to happen, but that's what makes life exciting. That's what makes business exciting. That's why we enjoy it collectively. Um, and I've really, really enjoyed this. And we could probably chat for another two hours, but we have, you've got work to do. You've got handover to prepare. So when is this famous date? Well, today I, 2.30, I've called a big group meeting. We've, we've obviously kept uh, laptop users and such out of the office, so I've asked them to come in um, and with social distances and such. I will be announcing my resignation today to all the staff, which is going to be emotional, if I'm honest, because I've, I've you know, I've built a lot of bonds with a lot of my staff. It's been a long yeah. journey. That's a big one. Um, and I haven't, once I've done that, I can start to officially put dates in place. But we're looking about the 15th of August, I'd say. Yeah. Good. Not, lo not long. Not long. Sell the, the lot. I'm not taking anything with me. I am starting fresh. Starting with a, a, a blank page, which is very exciting. It's one of those, uh, uh, you know, there's so many people, so many connections that, um, that you've got that you can't get around everyone. But it seems to be the, the newspaper press release that whenever you're selling all your kit on buy it, sell it, swap it, Qatar, everyone's like, are you leaving? See, I've managed to keep yeah. it on my compound Facebook page at the moment, and I've sold yeah. everything through that. So I know it's the minute you put the sofa up to say, <laughs> it's like, oh, yes. so leaving. And, and then you get the messages, are you leaving? Are you leaving? You know, and it, 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 what the sad thing is, it, it, I won't be able to get a mega send off. <laughs> we can't, because of the situation, I had a you know mm -hmm. big party planned or something, because I have made over hundreds of friends while I've been here and I think you know just to finish there the hardest thing for me is going to be saying bye to the people the people and the community and and everything else is it's just lessons but that's what thing is uh, irre irreplaceable so yeah
Well, I'll give you one more chance to do that because um, I chatted to Ronan Kelly um, uh, on last week's podcast and I said, and I'm going to ask you the same question and then you can finish off with what you love about Qatar from a family orientated perspective. Ronan had many opportunities to go to Spain was one um, and, and Dubai, as many people have, and I'm sure you've had many colleagues and, and friends that have, that have left. Did you ever get in, um, did you ever have a chance or did you, were you ever tempted to go to Dubai? No, I did. I had the chance. Uh, two years ago, I had a wobbler again, and I called my dad and his manager. Oh, I think I want to leave. You know, X, Y, and Z. And um, you know, I said I'm a bit over Qatar now. It's been you know so many years. I need a new challenge. And they said, right, come up. They, they did say like you can come over to the Reza Hygiene Dubai branch. Um, and it was offered to me on a plate, and I looked at it and I thought, no. I don't really want to. I've been to Dubai quite a lot of times socially and for work. And there's no doubt about it. It's great. You know, I love it. But um, it's a bit much for me, actually. <laughs> and um, so, uh, business-wise, a lot of competition. Uh, too, many, too many cooks in the kitchen, as you could say. I don't know. I see it a bit like that. Um, here, it's a bit easier to be a big fish in a little pond, if I'm honest. Um, and socially as well, not too many distractions, uh, you know, too many things on offer. I need to not be at brunch every weekend, so going on a night out, you know, I need to be there for my children. And at the same time, uh, probably a lot more lonelier for me, if I'm honest, sitting in Dubai than it would be here. I'm surrounded by really good friends and, um, you know, there. It's, it's the same, you're in the same villa, the same job, just different streets, different challenges and, and more alone. So no, no, I'll never forget a brunch. I went to a brunch there once and I was like, this is just too much <laughs> for me. Was, so it, no. Wasn't the Atlantis, was it the Atlantis one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. I did the same. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to say I haven't been tempted. It looked, you know, it's great, but I think really day to day life. I've never wanted to. I, I, I'd rather just, I, mean, I know it's very difficult now, uh, pandemic aside, but I've, I've never been, I haven't been in three years since the, since the blockade. Um, I'm 40 this year. So um, I'm going to the sevens. We're going to the sevens for my 40th, and the, the final's on my birthday. So it's a good enough excuse. Uh, to go, so that'll be that'll be your return trip. You can come back out to the Middle East for the fortieth. Why not? Yeah, that would be good. That would be good. But the good news is that you, you haven't seen the back of me yet. If my do if my plans do materialise, then I will be back here, and I'll need to come back here maybe three times a year, um, so I can come back in the school holidays and um, yeah, get bring the kids, and that would be my ideal world. Of course, get to come and see my friends, get a bit of sun, do some business. I mean, this is the dream, right? So yeah. let's see. Um, so you, so then uh, I think I'll be back in February. So if I'm back in February and all is open again, which should be, then we can maybe do a bit of a, a send off then instead. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Natalie, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. Um, I do wish you all the success. I think you're amazing. I think what you've done is fantastic achievement. And uh, you never know. Um, hopefully we'll get that send off uh, sooner rather than later. Um, stay on the line just for a couple of minutes. And... Yeah. Um, we will send this out, uh, it'll be on um, Wednesday. This will be going out and it will be on um, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and of course our YouTube channel. But for now, uh, Natalie Clark of Reza Hygiene, soon to be not Reza Hygiene, Miss UK. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, enjoy it.